Hello and welcome to the Hill's Digital Health Podcast. The Hill is the digital health transformation catalyst based at Oxford University Hospitals. We're working to help the NHS make the most of digital innovation. We do this in three ways. We work with innovators to help them develop their digital health ideas and products and make them relevant to the NHS. We work with clinical teams to understand needs, engage them in digital innovation, increase digital skills and adopt innovation. And finally, we collaborate with many partners, bringing together multiple organisations to form a digital health ecosystem. This podcast series focuses on clinical entrepreneurs, our clinical colleagues who have decided to start a business or social enterprise to develop a digital health innovation. My name is Megan Morris-Carter, Director of The Hill, and I'm joined today by Lisa Rickers, Bariatric Specialist Nurse at Imperial College Healthcare NHS Trust, and co-founder of the startup Pretomize, as well as founder of the iCrowd, a nursing and midwifery innovation network. Welcome, Lisa. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Megan, for the invitation. It's lovely to be here. Can you start off by telling us a little bit more about Pretomize? Yeah, no, certainly. So um, Pretomize, it's a prehabilitation app. And um, I know we often talk about rehabilitation after surgery, but prehabilitation refers to the time taken to prepare for surgery to enhance recovery, um, improve quality of life and also reduce complications, reduce length of stay in hospital and also reduces a decline in the neurocognitive function that um, may be stressed following um, events such as surgery. It's obviously really important to kind of prepare people in advance of their surgery, I think is what you're saying. Is that fair? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think at this point as well, we're seeing record number of people waiting longer for surgery through the COVID pandemic. And I think globally, there's been something like 28 million operations that's been cancelled. And we've got nearly 10 million people in the UK waiting for surgery, which was up from 4 million prior to the pandemic. So we've seen also that that this is the COVID-19 situation has had the greatest impact for people living in deprived areas. So those living in deprived areas are tending to wait longer for surgery as well. And, and I guess the true picture of people being added to the waiting list has not materialised as yet as people now are only just seeking GP assistance. And so we may see the numbers in terms of people entering the waiting list. Yeah, it's, it's a good time for us to be in this space um, in terms of, you know, looking to optimise waiting lists um, and address this backlog of, log of care. So um, the good news is that it does really provide us with an opportunity to prepare patients um, prior to their surgery. So there's never really been a greater time for us to be introducing a prehabilitation app um, at this point. And can you tell me a bit more about what the app is? So it, it, it helps people to prepare for their surgery. What, what does it do for them? Can you describe the product in a little bit more detail? Yeah, sure. So it's basically taking people through a number of different things. So one of the things that we know in in terms of um, like there's a lot of factors that can increase complications such as frailty, having other comorbidities, poor nutritional status, certain lifestyle factors such as smoking and drinking too much alcohol, depression and, and metabolic syndrome these factors can all be optimised prior to surgery. So our app is is about optimising those outcomes and offering a personalised approach um, in order to be able to optimise them fully for surgery. We often see people um, 
go into a pre-op assessment appointment two weeks prior to their surgery and then finding out that perhaps their blood pressure is high or they haven't stopped smoking. And so all of these factors um, often can relate to surgeries being cancelled at the last minute and then not being able to fill the list or optimise the lists. So we're enabling ready for um, services to provide preparation lists as opposed to waiting lists. So really seeing and optimising patients ready for surgery and making sure that the patients get streamlined through the services at the right time. And I, I know that you've had a lot of ideas in the, in the past, Lisa. What made you decide to move forward with this one in particular? Yeah, so I've been working on a number of different ideas. You're absolutely right there for many years. Um, and I've, I've always been working in terms of prehabilitation. So I've been working with bariatric and metabolic surgery patients prior to their surgery. So often patients that get referred in for these services, um, they are waiting up to 12 months prior to surgery. So this is the stuff that I've been doing for the last seven to eight years. And it's, it's just finally putting it together into a sort of digital platform that we can open up to people. Um, and I guess the fact is now is more and more people are opting for digital formats. So the take up is also much higher as well. So it's a good time for us to sort of get into this space, really. You know, I'm I'm kind of really looking forward to seeing where this goes. It's the first time that um, in terms of getting a product like this. Um, so I'm learning lots of things along the way as well. I know that you've got a couple of co-founders from India as well. Can, can you tell us a bit about where you met them and why you decided to start something together? Yeah, so um, it seems really strange, doesn't it, when you say that two of my co-founders are in India, but so uh, Madif, who was a trainee orthopaedic surgeon, first approached me um, some time ago now, and he was really interested to learn a little bit more in terms of what I'd been doing in prehabilitation, and he was interested in the same concepts um, within his patients and realised that actually preparing people prior to surgery could sort of help improve their outcomes. And so we, we kind of continued to communicate for some time. And then Madif had a friend that he's grown up with who's a machine learning AI specialist. And we just started conversations and it's just kind of looking at what solutions we could do around this problem. And that's where sort of pre-termized grew. So um, we've now incorporated as a company um, and we're very close to be going out to seek investment. And we just really want to ensure that as many people as possible can undertake prehabilitation. And we're sort of committed to ensuring that um, customers that use our application is, is personalised to them. And we, we curate the evidence base around our programme because at the minute, um, prehabilitation isn't really um, supported um, outside of cancer care um, within the NHS because there there is... The lots of evidence around, but there's no the, the evidence is a bit sketchy at times. So we really want to make sure we can provide the evidence base around that. Um, from a personal level, I I know how prehabilitation can improve outcomes, and also as well, I think we tend to think about just the outcomes following surgery, but it can impact on people's qualities of life lifelong. Um, and I've had personal experience of my father being ill and having to get fit prior to his surgeries. And, you know, I, and, and I understand that the impact that that has on families as well in terms of, you know, lifelong commitment and in, 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 in how life might look if patients do develop complications and don't return to a good quality of life after their surgery. 
Absolutely. And I can see that your experience on the clinical front line with patients has really informed what you wanted to address with your startup and how you might go about doing that. Yeah. And, you know, I've been thinking this, you know, for the last sort of, you know, working on it for seven to, seven to eight years, but the 20 years I've been thinking that, you know, there's so much more we could be doing and preparing people for surgery. So what's been the hardest thing about starting a startup for you? Um, I think from a personal point of view, um, is is kind of managing my imposter syndrome and having to step out of comfort zones. So um, joining the startup community when you're only the, well, I was the only nurse in the room. Um, and you're kind of wondering if you're in the right room and should you be there and why isn't anybody else there um, as well? Um it can, it, you know, it's, it is a difficult process and I, I have found it quite difficult at times. Um, but, you know, I've continued to sort of step outside of my comfort zone and push myself forward really to sort of feel more confident and comfortable in those environments. But, but I think it's crucial for anybody undertaking this experience to really focus on maintaining your mental health. Um, that's so important. Um it's, it's so easy to get so busy that you stop doing the things that kind of really helps you to sort of improve your well-being and, and manage your health. And there's been times when, you know, I've fallen into that trap. Um, and I've seen so many sort of colleagues who've burnt out in this process as well. So I think that, yeah, we we kind of need support as, as well. So having people around you that are supportive is, is really important part of this process. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, having supportive co-founders, people who, you know, are on on the journey with you and therefore able to sort of, to sort of really understand what you're going through and, and kind of experience it with you is really important. And also mentors and a supportive community. What kinds of support have you found most valuable whilst you've been doing this journey? So, yeah, it has been all of those things and finding sort of the networks um, and like-minded people around you. And I think one of the things is that um, the other thing that I've seen is is that sort of a lot of um, startup companies break down or break up because, you know, co-founders have different values. So I think it's really important to ensure that those people that you're, you're working with um, do have similar values and are supportive and, and I'm lucky to, to have that with um, both groups that I'm, I'm working with in terms of the, the co-founders and the, the steering group but that's around me so I've now at a time point where I do have that supportive network um, but it, you know in the past there probably has been times when that's that has been missing and, it, and it's difficult to create so going out to startup communities and and you know that like the hills has been really nice and supportive um and and enabled me to continue to keep pushing myself outside my boundaries really it is a a really big step i think when you've been trained in a clinical role and you've clearly got a lot of expertise in that role but starting a startup is a completely different thing isn't it and and it requires a completely different set of knowledge and skills that perhaps clinical colleagues don't don't always have yeah no absolutely there was nothing in in my sort of training that's prepared me for sort of the startup community and starting my own business so it's all skills that you've kind of found outside of the nhs um 
but I, you know, I've since now joined the NHS Clinical Entrepreneur Programme as well. So there's the extra support there as well. So um, it's a really good sort of time for me. Um, <laughs> I've got all those supportive networks around me. What do you think are the challenges more broadly facing clinical staff, especially nurses and midwives who come up with an idea and want to develop it? My experiences of trying to innovate in the NHS have been difficult and I know I'm not alone. And I do think it's a travesty that nurses and midwives have been sort of left out of healthcare innovation. You know, in, in 2019, um, Nestor and Nesson Times and sort of did a survey for to nurses and they, ex, they the nurses expressed that their new ideas were being stifled by a culture which did not listen. And most nurses do a job because they want to have impact on helping people keep well and recover. And, and we tend to see gaps in services and we talk to patients and their families and we're often sort of the hub of healthcare. And, and I think this enables us to have a really a better understanding of the systems and our insights and vantage points makes our perspective unique. And so I think the untold cost of ignoring nurses not only impacts on patient care and outcomes, but, but also on, on nurses' wellbeing and engagement. You know, it's very difficult to remain engaged if you're constantly not listened to. But, you know, despite this, nurses do continue to innovate and ensure that gaps in services do not impact patient care. And, and we do this just, you know, routinely and not we don't often call it innovation. But I think, yeah, when, you know, our resources for nurses are so short and it, it seems counterintuitive that we ignore the largest sector of the healthcare workforce. There's a huge potential here to use nursing skills in a different way. And I think that's really exciting to think about the possibilities for nurses to unleash this potential. Um, and we could see that go to. So what do you think is the, the key to addressing some of these challenges and making sure we do realise that potential? Yeah, I mean, we, we still talk about sort of changing the culture of the NHS and, and often it's still seen as this, um, you know, command style approach, um, which, which really doesn't um, help people to speak out or talk about their, their ideas. And I think nurses and midwives workloads do need to be considered. We're, we're often operating at workloads that exceed our, our capabilities and our working hours. And so we're just getting through each day. But if we consider what Google offer their staff in terms of 20% of their time um, is given for them to be able to work on creative projects um, to grow and foster innovation, you know, what we're doing in, in healthcare, particularly within nurses and midwives, is the exact opposite. So it's no surprise that we're not seeing innovation in that those, those group of individuals. So I, I, I would like to see more opportunities for nurses and midwives to be involved in, in healthcare innovation. You know, it shouldn't be that I was the only nurse in that network. You know, we need this diversity in order to get the best solutions to help address the complex and challenging questions around healthcare. I was really pleased to see a number of nurses at our latest mixer, actually. And I think, um, you know, it, it's great to see that that community is very much engaging with innovation and becoming more interested in it. And as you say, has probably been doing innovation for many years, just perhaps not calling it that and perhaps not getting all of the support that could be helpful in, in making those things work. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think as well, when we think about funding for innovation projects as well, you know, nurses tend to 
innovate in a slightly different way to how doctors and other um, healthcare professionals may sort of innovate as well. So, you know, we often don't need large sums of money to get our ideas up and going and to have real impact um, on patient outcomes. But the way that the funding's set up, it doesn't support those sort of like initiatives to enable to make sort of change and then sort of sharing those um, initiatives w wider so we're not just working in silos so it, it can be something that could be taken up by um, other hospitals as well. So I know you're setting up an innovation network as well as your clinical work can you tell us more about the iCrowd? Absolutely. Well, I was inspired really um, to set up a network following an attendance at a digital hackathon in America during the first lockdown. And it was the first time that I felt that I'd met a, a group of nurses and allied health professionals who was crazy as me at wanting to give up their own time and solve complex problems. And I just wanted that opportunity to really look at and make sure that other nurses, midwives in, in the UK had a, a similar opportunity. And and it just really opened my eyes to think about the possibilities of what could be done um, if we started to sort of see more and more nurses. And I always say that if we can get 10% of the nursing and midwifery workforce innovating, then I do think that healthcare would look very different to, to how it looks today. And, you know, I'm just such a big believer as well in terms of, you know, you know, health is created in, in the home, in the community and, you know, sort of having nurses to be able to develop those things and initiatives working outside of the NHS um, with other sort of um, social enterprises, charities can really enable us to ensure that patients don't fall through the cracks in services and they're getting the support that they need when they need it. So can you tell us a bit about what iCrowd's doing at the moment? Is there anything that someone could get involved with right now? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have partnered with a, a company, a social enterprise called Hexitime, which is a time bank. So it's a healthcare time bank. So people can go on and offer their services or take up other services that healthcare professionals or other people have, have added into those, added in as things that people can take up. But um, we're running a, a, an innovation sprint at the moment. So uh, this is a sort of setting up four challenges where people can take part. It's all around planetary health and sustainability, um, which is quite obviously topical at the moment in terms of the green agenda and the NHS commitment to zero carbon admissions. So I was surprised when I learned that the NHS contributes um, or the healthcare services contribute to three to four percent of the carbon footprint and that we that's probably more than aviation and shipping and so there's a real opportunity for us to start to think about health more globally in, in line with sustainability development goals as well so I think that's it's a real opportunity for nurses and anybody else midwives who want to get involved around those issues to come and even sort of take part talk about any ideas that they may have or add to existing ideas that people have, have offered before them um, and really get involved in, in changing um, the way that um, nurses and midwives are included in healthcare innovation. So for all those clinical staff members, nurses, midwives, AHPs who are thinking of pursuing an idea, what, what advice would you have for them, Lisa? I would say definitely do it. Um, 
<laughs> absolutely um come and join us um we we do have support for people out there with yourselves and and with us and there's lots of other initiatives out there now that's really helping and you know don't be afraid you know i think i sort of didn't act for so long because um you know i was afraid to sort of get involved in in that sort of community and and and, and step outside my comfort zone so do keep taking those small steps because it is just a small step at a time. Um, it doesn't have to be big steps, um, but it can just be one small step and just keep going with it. I think that's what many of our, our entrepreneurs would say that, you know, ultimately it's about getting out there, doing something, starting and then working your way towards the eventual goal. Um, I think it can seem quite uh, like quite a big thing to set up a company but if you just take it one step at a time and you look out for those mechanisms of support and you gradually build your idea and you know just do the next step and the next step and the next step then eventually you'll get there yeah it's that consistent action isn't it that's what it is um you know it's that that's how we get change in anything so working in behavioral change is exactly the same thing you know just just one more step because that seems manageable and it seems that you can do that if you kind of think about the end goal that can seem very daunting and and just to be you know optimistic as well that's really helpful um surround yourself with with positive people that can be really helpful too and supportive people just to keep you moving forward because there will be times when you wonder what you're doing and should you carry on I've had many moments like that um, throughout the years but then something tends to happen and you just kind of pick yourself up and, and start moving forward again I think uh, moving forward one step at a time that's a fantastic place to to close this Lisa thank you ever so much for your time on this podcast it's fantastic to hear about your startup and also your nurses innovation network a fantastic in initiative which I hope will support many more nurses, nurses midwives and AHPs like, like yourself to, to innovate and to bring their talents to the entrepreneurship and, and the clinical work that the NHS really needs. Thank you. You've been listening to the Hills Digital Health podcast and to Lisa Rickers who's a bariatric nurse, an entrepreneur and leader of a nursing and midwifery innovation network iCrowd. If you'd like to hear any more about iCrowd or about The Hill and the startup support that we offer, do visit our website at www.thehilloxford.org or contact the team at connect at thehilloxford.org.